0: How are you doing? It's my privilege to be here. Um, Yeah, just before we start, um, I'd like to pray, but I'd like each of us to make a decision tonight, not just am I going to hear a theological concept, but do you want to know more of the person that we came here to know more about? So I think this is not just a I want to share this with you. I think this is a we all have to make that decision as individuals. Do I want to know the person of Jesus more? So do, so I'll just give you two seconds. Make up your mind and your head. And when you're ready, we'll pray. All right, have you got your answer? Are we ready to pray? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord that we could come here and get to know a person. Not a theological concept, not a well articulated message, but the person of Jesus. So ask your Holy Spirit. The Word says that you reveal the deep things of Jesus and make them known to us. So I'd ask Holy Spirit that you search the depths and you make them known to us. So we ask this as a community, as a body, as your church, as your people, collectively together we say we want to know you more. We don't want to leave here without a deeper understanding. Not, not knowing more about you, but about the person of Jesus. A revelation, a heart knowledge of the person of Jesus. So just pray these in the name of your awesome son. Jesus name. Cool. I'm going to preach on a on a message called the Judgment Seat of Christ. Now this is quite a unusual message for the Sunday night crowd. Um, I was first introduced to this by Dave Bishop, just a little conversation in the cafe. And I had been a Christian maybe for a number of years. I grew up, grew up in the church and I had never heard of this, probably because I wasn't Study, maybe studying the Bible or I wasn't pressing into God, but I had never heard of this concept of the judgment seat and it started something within me and when I, when I told people that I was preaching on the judgment seat, most people's reactions were, whoa, that's quite full on you know, like, that's a bit well, you're 21, you know, you've got to be preaching about something you know, a bit more exciting than that or, you know and I can honestly say that this message Although it might seem scary, I think it's more just misunderstood. And I can honestly say that from coming into a revelation of what it means to stand before God and to give an account of my life has absolutely brought me into a deeper, more loving and more intimate relationship with him. So I believe that God has all of that for us here today. And you've made your decision already. And you know if you're going to receive something from God. You know if you're going to go into a deeper revelation of him. And you know if you're going to have your whole world flipped upside down tonight by the revelation of the person of Jesus. Alright, so I'll just get straight into it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this is in the body, this is a judgment for Christians. Uh, this is not... Saved or not saved, this is all of us are Christians. We're all saved. This is the judgment seat for the Christians. All right. So, gets elaborated on again in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. And I'll just read it out. So if you flip to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12, you'll be there. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And somebody else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward if it is burnt up the builder will suffer loss yet will be saved even even though as one escaping through the flames all right so that is a judgment for all believers this is not what i want to tell you this is written this is in the bible this is written this is what is going to happen you know you don't get to choose as a christian what's going to happen this is the reality for each individual believer, your choice is to say, are you going to submit to that? Are you going to actually listen to what he's saying? Because we can't change reality. He's God. We're not. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. When you compare my relationship to the Almighty God. So I'm just going to break that down a little bit this evening because I think it is just such a misunderstood concept. All right? So I'll go verse by verse. By the grace God has given me. I laid a foundation as a wise builder and somebody else is building on it. Now this is potentially the most important concept that I will articulate tonight. And it's a concept that can't be un- articulated to be understood. You have to receive it. What this is about is that by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. What's the foundation? Greg P- preached two Sunday mornings ago on the revelation of the Christ and on the rock that we will build the church. What is the rock? It is the revelation. It is having our eyes open. That Holy Spirit that searches the deep things of God reveal to you not a theological concept that you can understand in your head, but the the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our saviour. And you cannot build on any other foundation than that because what happens when you build on another foundation is that I come to preach a message like this and you'll reject it because you don't know the person of Jesus. So when I'm talking about building... I'm talking about the building of a person, not of a church, not as of the, the rock church. I'm talking about the building of a person as us as individuals and us as a body. Next verse. But each one should build with care. So the, so the Greek word for care is belipo. It means this, to properly see or be observant or watchful. It suggests to see something physical with spiritual results. Fascinating, eh? I'll go down. Next verse. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means that this is not a judgment for sin, but for faithfulness, for intimacy uh, with Jesus. The love that we cultivate for him. You cannot earn your justification. You cannot, uh, you cannot earn your salvation from sins. You cannot, just just like that, you cannot earn your revelation of the Christ. You cannot discover it by intellectual study, but only through the blood of the Lamb alone. Because what is eternal life? That we may know Him. What is the only thing that will last for eternity? The knowledge, the revelation, and that trust we have for Jesus in our soul. I'll keep going. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw... The work their work will be shown for what it is. Now this is the money verse, right? This is what the rest of the message will flow on for from, sorry. Alright. So we we think back to John six twenty nine. And Jesus says what? The work of God is this, to believe in the one that the Lord has sent. So when we're talking about work, we're talking about building. The work that Jesus is talking about is he's talking about um, believing in him. And so I looked up the Greek in that as well and it has another fascinating concept. The, the Greek name is pisteo which means to trust in or to be persuaded of by the Lord. So if we read that again and we go back to the start you see that the work that we're doing is to learn to trust Him more to learn to be persuaded of something or someone by the Lord. So This is a building of trust, not a building of a program, a ministry, or whatever. It's a building of trust, an individual building of trust between you and Jesus. So we have gold, silver, and precious stones. This is God's work. This is what he talks about, the work of the Holy Spirit, which only comes by submission and surrender to him. Heavenly things. Greg Greg, uh, provided an awesome example of that this morning. You can jump on the website and download it. I don't have time to go into that now. The wood, hay, and straw, that's our work. That's our a manly physical. You can be building a church ministry, but still be building it with wood, hay, and straw if you don't do it in submission or surrender to Him because that's what we're going to be judged on, our obedience, our faithfulness to Him, not on our actual building. Remember, this this is primarily an internal work of surrender that has a a resulting outward manifestation. For example, the pastor of a big church could be building with wood, hay and straw, while a teacher or a rubbish man could be building with gold, silver and precious stones. It's not about the outward manifestation of your work, it's about the internal building. Do you allow Jesus to come in and to work within you? So, do we have any rubbish people here? If we did, they could be building more than... Anybody speaking on this microphone? That's just the reality. It's an inward building. You cannot see the results because if we think about Jesus's ministry, how many people did he have? How many people were in his church at the end of his ministry? He had his twelve disciples, and half of them were just not even acknowledging that he existed. Is that a successful ministry? Is that a successful ministry? I mean, that guy is man. He's he's our he's our top. You know, he he's what we want to to be like. So. My ministry is awesome because I don't have thousands of people. I've just got a few guys and I can reflect Jesus with whatever he has given me. It doesn't mean to say that you can't have a big ministry. It just, says, just means that it's about the internal, not about the external. All right, I'll skip down. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. That's a little bit of a scary verse. I'll go down to the, to the Greek again because it helps to just give a an interesting perspective on it. The Greek word is hopoia, H-O-P-O-I-S, I won't even try and pronounce it. It means, so talking about the quality of the work, it's talking about the, the nature of it, the manner of it, what sort, is it earthly work or is it spiritual work, internal work? I was just written here, just like justification and salvation of sins by the blood of Jesus, this t- internal transformation is only achieved by the working of the power of Jesus, only through obedience, submission to Jesus, and intimacy. So we often think as Christians that when we're saved, that's it, that's Jesus has done that, it's finished, and that's absolutely true. But the working of Jesus inside of us is just as powerful, I believe, as what Jesus did on the cross for us, because that was his primary purpose, I think, not just to save us, but to save us for a reason, for something. We're not just on this earth to be here, to sin and be forgiven, or else Jesus wouldn't have been sent. Did you know that you could be forgiven for sins under the old under the old covenant? That's just fascinating, you know, if we weren't if Jesus didn't come to forgive sins, then what did he come to do? He came to forgive sins so that by his empowering grace we would be changed and transformed, attaining to being his bride and ruling and raving of him in the millennial reign and knowing him intimately for all of eternity. Anyway, I'll get back on topic. <laughs> quality the quality of each person's work. All right. So the fire is going to burn through us, not in us or around us, because when you stand before God on the, in the judgment seat of Christ, it's you and God. It's not you, God, and your church and your, and your family and your workplace. It's you and God. It's the internal that you're going to be judged on. Oh, just yeah, spitball on my... Um, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's you and God. It's what what is in here. We're gonna you know we're gonna go from being on this earth. There's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. You're gonna have resurrected bodies. So there's no earth. There's no heaven. There's no resurrected bodies. just what. Well, so what's left it's that inter- it's your soul and your spirit that stands before God, and it's these external things are all a means of what to change and transform to come into knowing. Uh, the person of Jesus, and when that fire burns through you, has your work, has what, what you've got inside of you, has your trust, because remember, work means trust, has that trust been real? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Alright, next verse. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames... Would you love to spend your whole life here on earth and then get to the judgment seat and see that, oh, gutted, you've suffered a loss. And I know I'm just saying that in a funny tone, but that is the absolute reality for each of us. I want my life so that when I stand before the judgment seat, I hear the, well done, good and faithful servant. Not that, yes, you're saved, but you're going to suffer loss because what you haven't entered into the... The original intention for the salvation, you've received your your forgiveness for sins. That's the inheritance for all believers. We are all forgiven. We will all have every tear wiped from our eyes. But this is this goes beyond that. This is: Did you learn to love Him? Did you trust Him? Did you did you cultivate that intimacy within you so that when you stand before God and that fire burns through you and all the crap, whatever situation has happened, whatever has gone on? It's just you and Him. Will you receive a reward or will you suffer loss? It's the absolute reality for all believers. I don't get to choose this. This is the, the Word of God. All right. So just, just so you remember, this is not a judgment for heaven and hell, but this is about our inheritance with Jesus. All right. I'll just wrote in here. An awareness of this judgment is vitally important for all Christians, but it is so ignored and misunderstood. Although God is a God of such extravagant, unconditional love, He is also a just judge who we will stand before and have to give an account of our lives. I believe that without the fear of the Lord, without a proper reverence and respect for Him, we will never enter into a way of living here on earth that will properly and effectively prepare us for all of eternity. It is easier to ignore the judgment seat because we either don't understand it or we don't like it. But I would rather be aware of it now while I'm on earth than when I stand before him. An awareness of what we will be judged on clearly illustrates what Jesus is looking for in us, what he cares about in us, in the way he wants us to live. It's not supposed to be a pop quiz. It's not supposed to be a, oh no, oh, I'm going to be judged. It's a, he's written it here so that you may spend your life preparing for it, allowing Him in, getting to know Him, getting to love Him so that when you stand before Him on that day, it may be the most glorious day of your existence. They may say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been through the fire. You have had these tough times. I mean, there's tough times galore out there in the world at the moment. You don't even have to enter into it. That's the nature of this life. Things are, times are hard. You know, we have this incredible inheritance of eternity with Jesus. And we get to choice. Do we want to let these worldly, these tough times, these, you know, these things change us or do we want it to do the opposite and make us more bitter and make us more, uh, a heart, more hardened and callous towards them? At the end of the age, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, all, we, all that we are going to be given, and we're going to be given resurrected bodies, all that we know is going to pass away. Only the gold, silver and precious stones will remain. So what are the gold,, precious, silver and precious stones? It is the trust, that love, that intimacy, that working of the Holy Spirit within you. Remember, you cannot do this by trying. That's the wood, the hay and the straw. That's your own personal striving. What I believe he talks about when he says gold, silver and precious stones is us allowing that work of the Holy Spirit within us to come and change and transform us, that trust, that love, that obedience and that surrender. All right, another incredible example of this is written in Revelation to that, and I'll just read it. Uh, this is Revelation 3 and it says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you are either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And I shall to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. For whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So I'm just going to break that down a little bit too because there's so much in that powerful passage. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. We are so blessed as a community at The Rock. We are so blessed to be in New Zealand in the the physical our, Our blessing is just incredible. I think we live in one of the most blessed countries in the world. But all of that is going to fade away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's not going to last for all of eternity. Why are we blessed in the physical? I believe it's so that we would see the goodness of God working. You know, we hear week after week of the goodness of God working in money through the offering offering messages. But what is the point of that blessing? Is that so we may trust Him more and that we may fall more in love with Him? Not so that we will be more comfortable where we are because we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of another dimension or another, whatever you call it, Next verse. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. It's not only that you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind and naked. It's that you don't realize you are. That's the key. You now for example, think about a blind man who doesn't actually realize he's blind. You can just see him walking down Cuba Street. What happens? He's walking down... And an unfortunate lamppost is just in his way, and it takes that lamppost to wake him up from where he is, to get to 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 realizing he can't see anything. You know, we call these lampposts in our life these these tough times, these things that wake us up from uh, wake us up to reality. And We say that that's an attack by the devil. What you know, we we call it negative. We say, so, oh no, I don't want to be this. You know, I don't want to. Uh, be, be attacked I don't want these bad times to happen, and we try and avoid them. But you know, these these times are the very uh, things that God uses to wake us up to see that we don't actually have, you know, we don't actually have it all together. The first step to overcoming your blindness is actually just realizing that you're blind. I won't give an example of what it means to be naked and not realizing it, <laughs> but I'll just go down to the next verse. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. The first step to attaining this gold is realizing that we don't have all that we thought we have. I believe that this picture um, in Revelation is a picture of the, the Western church. You know, We have all these, external ble- all, all these external blessings, but we don't see that the only blessing that will last for all of eternity is a blessing that we cultivate inside of us, that love and intimacy with him. Alright, so the first step to attaining this gold is realising that we don't have all that we thought we had. This often takes situations or the fire that we often see as negative to reveal what is in our hearts. Was Paul just a nutter when he said he's joyful in suffering or when persecution came? Or was Jesus wrong when he said, uh, when when he talked um, on the sermon on the mount about blessed are those who are persecuted? Just think about that for one second. If you're persecuted, you're blessed. Who's persecuted? Yay! Travis, yay! <laughs> Travis is blessed. It's just a, a completely different concept to our normal Christian reality. You're blessed when you're persecuted. Why is that? Is he a nutter or did he see something that we don't? Did he see that these, that these tough times, that this persecution is a way to, for the fire to burn through us now so that we may enter into uh, that uh, intimacy with him, obtaining the gold, the silver and precious stones, those things that although they hurt now are going to last for all of eternity? Or was he just a weirdo? You know, sometimes in the Western world we are so comfortable in our perceived external blessing that we actually have to put ourselves in the situation where the trust and the love we have for Jesus is tested. I know for me personally that I would always have said, I trusted God with my money. I was cautious about what I spent. I didn't, you know, didn't buy really what I didn't need. And I would have said, you know, I, I trust God with my money. Um, and I really felt not too long ago the tugging of the Holy Spirit on my heart to, to give away to a point where I didn't have enough money to pay what I needed to pay. And it's, I knew that was the Holy Spirit because he doesn't, he doesn't let go. He keeps on going and going and going until you either say, I don't want to hear from you, Holy Spirit, or you actually do what He tells you to do. And when I entered into this, when I entered into this process, what, I just felt this, uh, this anxiety, this, this fear, this what is, what is going to happen, you know, how am I going to pay my bills, how am I going to pay my tax, how am I going to do this, how am I going to do that? And that's what, was in, that's what was inside of me, this trust that I thought I had. Remember, work is trust, and that's what we're going to be judged on at the judgment seat. I thought that I trusted in Jesus when he said that he will provide for me. I thought I knew him. But when the situation came, what came out of me was something completely different to what I thought. What came out of me was this fear, this anxiety, this, this worry. And that's what he's looking for at the judgment seat. So, you know, I didn't have what I thought I had. I was blind to the fact that I didn't have the gold within me that I thought I had. It took that fire. It took that, you know, when you have blessing, sometimes you almost need to step out into the, into the unknown zone, into the, into the fire in order to reveal what is really in our hearts. And that's what happened for me. I stepped out and what was in my heart was different to what I thought. My eyes were open to see the new reality. And we, I believe as a church we need to make these decisions so that we deal with our stuff now, so that we become intimate with God now, not so that when the fire burns through us and reveals to us on the judgment seat what the reality of our heart is, we're supposed to deal with that now. We have this incredible grace that Jesus has given us, not just to forgive you from your sins, but to empower you to live a different way. So your heart, that your soul, that you, might, you would be transformed into the likeness of Christ, standing before God on that judgment seat day, saying, God, I've run the race. When you ask me, do, I love, do you love me? Did you obey me? I can say wholeheartedly, I loved you. I learned to love you. I learned to trust you. And I would receive the reward. That Jesus has intended me to to uh, receive all right, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. This is a positive thing discipline is a positive thing if you feel the Holy Spirit telling you that you 're doing something wrong that 's a positive thing you know in um, in the prophets uh, in Jeremiah, it talks about um, the reverence of the Lord, or the uh, the fear of the Lord, have, having left the community, and God was 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 saying, you know, that was a, a punishment that the fear of the Lord had left them. If you fear God, if you are in awe of Him, if you are disciplined by Him, you know that you're on the right track. You know, I know with my with my parents who out the back, you can say hello to the hello to them afterwards. I obviously didn't like the old wooden spoon on the bum bum. When I was when I was younger, but if I didn't have that, if I didn't go through that, I would have never come into that that place of maybe maturity that I can today. You know, we have this, this life, which this world that is crazily st- stuffed up. To be honest, you know, we have these opportunities um, for for this discipline. So let's use these situations to create in us the character that was designed to be created in us. To the one who is victorious or to the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. To the one who, I'll just say that again. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. I might just have to say it one more time. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That's better. This is Jesus. This is the eternal, the uncreated God, the almighty God, the almighty. He wasn't even, he wasn't even created. He's, he's been there for all of eternity. Not only that, but he came to earth to pay for our sins, to give us this transforming power, this giving us this Holy Spirit. And he says this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. 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 This is the inheritance to the believers who overcome. But the, the real question is are you overcoming? Because it doesn't say to every Christian, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. It says to those who overcome, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. To those who overcome, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. You know, to those who enter into this process of having your your sin, um, your fear, whatever it is that you deal with, to overcome those are the people that Jesus is going to sit with me on my throne, because ultimately it's the people that submit to him that he's going to rule and reign with for a thousand year reign and that he's going to be intimate with for all of eternity. Remember, this is not something to, to strive for in our human effort. This only comes by surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit and his power that is at work within us not human effort or striving. So I've just got a quick example. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples in Luke 9 verse 3 and then his 72 close followers in Luke 10 verse 4 and tells them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic." So these are the words of Jesus. He's telling them, this is the reality, this is what I want you to do and this is how I want you to do it. So they go out and they come back and they've obeyed him and they've done what he's wanted them to do. They've, they haven't taken anything for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. And they've survived. They've, they've gone back. They've done the work of God. They've done what he wanted them to do. And then just before he is crucified, he gives him a new command. In Luke 22, verse 35, he says, when I, saw you, uh, when I sent you out without a purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, go and sell your cloak and buy one. So Jesus, he tells his disciples, when you go out to minister to people, don't take anything with you, because I will provide everything that you need. And then just before he's crucified, he says, yep, you know, did you need anything when I sent you out with nothing? No, you didn't need anything. They were provided for every time. So he says this, all right, go and take your stuff then. Go and take everything that you have and go and do it that way. So like, is he trying to confuse us by telling us to do things one way and then the other? Or is there a greater purpose for what he's asking them to do? And I believe that what he, what he is doing is, he is ask, you know, he's leading them through this process of trust, this process that has that gold, that, um, that trust tested, refined by the fire, um, and sends them through that process of developing that trust for him so that they don't even need to enter into that supernatural provision the second time because they have attained that gold. It's not so much about uh, doing things by the letter of the law. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying what he's saying. This is about building the church, the process of submission to Jesus, creating in us a revelation knowledge of him. We are not building an external kingdom We're building people so that either when you're ministering or when you're being ministered to, it's people that are going to stand before the judgment seat, people that are the church, people that are the bride. And what is the whole point of this? What is the point of the judgment seat? What is the point of entering into this process of sanctification or of allowing Jesus to come and change and transform us from the inside out? And I believe it's because of the bride. I will just discuss that more in a second. Anyway, I believe the judgment seats put all Christians on the same level. All of our sins have been paid for on the cross, whether you're a recovering alcoholic or a pastor's son. But that was just the start of God's grace. The grace of Jesus, the blood that he shed on the cross, is what empowers us to change from the inside out in order that we may come into the Father's primary purpose which is first and foremost eternal in nature, being the bride of his Son. I hear people say, but we're not under judgment anymore. Aren't we under grace? No, we're not under judgment for sin, because Jesus paid for our sins once and for all on the cross. But we are under judgment for grace. And did you take that grace that he has given you, And allow it to change and transform you into the spotless and wrinkle-free bride that he desires. I personally believe that the Father's primary reason for sending Jesus to die on the cross was not just to forgive us for our sins, but to transform us into the bride that he desires to be with for all of eternity. That saving us from our sins was just the first step on that process of becoming a person that he would be intimate with, and that he would be in love with for all of eternity. I've just got one story before I finish. And it comes from the early 1700s. You might have heard this story before. Um, through a, a ministry by a guy called Count Zindendorf. And so Moravia is like the Czech Republic, it's like Eastern Europe. And in the early 1700s, they, was, uh, they had a prayer meeting that lasted for a whole, a whole year. Um, I think it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every hour of the day there was people praying. And they had this prayer meeting going on for a whole year and after the year they started to send out missionaries because they were so burdened with the, with the love of Christ burning inside of them. And um, There was these two young guys and they had a heart to evangelize to the slaves at that time. And the only way that they could relate to the slaves was by selling themselves into slavery. So what did they do? They went and sold themselves into slavery. And this guy, he makes a, just a fascinating remark on his way um, on the boat going to uh, the slavery. And, he, and his mum calls out and he says to him, you know, why are you doing this? because she knows that for the rest of his life he's going to be with these slaves. And he says this incredible statement, he says, I go so that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward for his suffering. I go that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward for his suffering. You know, I've talked a lot about our inheritance getting our reward, but I personally believe that Jesus deserves to receive the reward for his suffering that the lamb that was slain, the lamb that was crucified on the cross, did you know it cost him something on the cross? It didn't cost him anything to create the heavens and the earth. It didn't cost him anything, but it cost him, his son, to die on that cross so that we may know him, that we may be in love with him. That the lamb that was slain may receive the reward for his suffering. Sometimes that's all I have, that statement over the last couple of months has been what has kept me going. Now, why do we get into these discipleship relationships? It's not just me, me, me. It's not just my inheritance, my inheritance, my inheritance, my gold, my precious stones, uh, my place in eternity. It's that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward for his suffering. That whether it is me that is growing, that it's Kirk that is growing, that it's Travis that is growing, it's that the lamb may receive the reward for his suffering. Because what, is, what does he receive at the end of this he doesn't receive our work. He doesn't receive our ministry. He receives us as people. That's why he's so concerned about having us transformed is because he is going to be intimate with us for all of eternity. I just think that's an incredible uh, thing to be able to do is to give back, whether it's my worship, whether it's my, my singing, whether it's my money to bless him, to bless the lamb that was slain, so that he may receive the reward for his suffering. Cool. Thank you.
1: We're just going to um, leave it there. But what I do want to really encourage us all um, is to start chewing these messages over. I really, I, you know, Paul when Paul really wanted to mandate something, he'd say, I urge you. Because you know, you can't. You can't make anyone do anything. And so he'd actually say, and I want to say that I want to urge you to go and listen, not just once, The Bible talks about meditating and marinating in the Word. Meditate and marinate in what you heard tonight. Grab the messages this morning. Grab the messages over the last week. God is speaking, and He's speaking through a foghorn. And I shared this morning that God has given us, He's given to us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Because we have to be spirit-led people. The spirit of God lives within you. Think about that. God of the universe lives within you. We have to walk in the spirit, not the flesh. So can I encourage you, to what you heard tonight, go. Study the scriptures. Be like a Berean who came with a heart to understand. They studied the scriptures and the light. Because unless the Holy Spirit illuminates what you've heard, it's just another good talk on another Sunday night. And nothing changes. We are to become like the one we follow. Because when we stand before him, he wants to see himself. Have a great week. Thanks, Sam. Cafe is go. Go. Alright. Cool. Thanks, guys.